0: you're listening to welcome to eloma a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done i'm your host kylie peters this is a space where we talk about mergers and acquisitions so for many of us business owners Many of us started our businesses because we wanted to do the thing we knew how to do, right? Um, We also know that many of us uh, probably fall into the category of quote unquote accidental business owners, which oftentimes means that we started our business without thinking about how we wanted to end our business. (laughs) And the truth is that all of our tenure with our businesses will end at some point, right? Like either we die. Or we sell or we exit, or whatever, right? It comes to an end um so there's that, right? uh, but when that happens, there's a lot that we don't know, and so for anybody out there who's thinking about like, well, what is my exit plan, and could it be beneficial to either acquire another company um to build my business or to get acquired so I can cash out and have a payday? Anything like that, there's a lot of nuances in the mergers and acquisition space that we don't really know about. (laughs) So, we're going to uh, do our best to get you at least some of those answers today. Today's guest is Lori Murphy, the founder and managing partner at Evala Advisors. And Evala Advisors focuses specifically on advising mid market businesses on mergers and acquisitions within the marketing services, digital media, and e commerce space. So, I'm going to do my best to get you some of the answers. We're just probably going to hit the tip of the iceberg today, but we'll, we'll at least get the conversation started on what it looks like um, to, to consider mergers and acquisitions for your business. So welcome to Eloma, Lori. Thank you. Um, Lori, so before we dive too far into anything, for anybody listening and they're like, yeah, mergers and acquisitions sounds really sexy, but what does that mean? Can you give us just a high-level overview of what that could potentially entail? All
1: right. Um, well, I mean, it's either, it, it is typically when a company is buying another company or merging with another company. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and from our standpoint, we're, we're merger and acquisition advisors. We're, we're technically an investment bank, mm-hmm. um, but we consult companies on selling their company. Merging their company sometimes, or um, divesting parts of their company, or we consult buyers as well on actually acquiring um, smaller companies typically. So, okay.
0: Yeah. And and what situations might a founder or CEO potentially of another company right? What might what situations might they find themselves in um, where
1: they're considering a merger or acquisition
0: for their for their company?
1: Well, I honestly think they should um find themselves in that situation when they start their company. Okay. Um, okay. That that is, you know, really when you should start thinking about this. And like you said, some people accidentally get into business. As soon as they know they're a business, to me, they should think about. What is the exit? And yeah. maybe it's twenty years down the line, but sure. they, they should think about it like it's in five years, um, because you know you have to think about preparing with growth, with um, you know the right financial profile. Um, you have to think about it through you know what you're doing, what strategically fits. And I and the reason I say that is because if you think about it from the start, your company typically does better, regardless if you want to exit or not. Because Can you,
0: yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, can you elaborate on that? Yeah,
1: If you're preparing from day one, oh, I want to exit my business. You're thinking about growth. You're thinking about what you're doing strategically different than other people, because obviously if if a buyer is looking at you, they're not looking at you always just because you do exactly what they do. And if you can differentiate yourself, then obviously you're going to be able to Sell yourself better and grow faster, and then from a financial management standpoint, you know if you're thinking about it, depending on the industry you're in, but if you're in marketing services, you shouldn't be thinking, you know, you got to think about how are you going to invest so that you can get that payback, meaning the even about the cash flow. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking about all those things and putting everything in order, your company's going to be growing, and you may never want to exit. But because you're thinking about it, you're actually bringing home a lot of money to yourself. So to me, the situation is the minute you open your doors and the minute you start selling something, you should be thinking, how do I exit? Regardless if you ever want to exit.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that perspective because you're right. Like some people out there and even anyone listening might be thinking, well, like I hear what you're saying. But I love my business and I never want to like I want it to be a lifestyle business. But I love what you're saying and saying that um, even if your mindset shifts to what a potential exit would look like, you end up still benefiting because you're building it as if it could potentially be up for sale at some point.
1: And what usually happens when people say it's a lifestyle business and I, I never want to sell is they go for 20 years and they eventually have to retire. maybe something horrible happens. Maybe they just want to spend something, you know, some time with their kids, whatever it is. But what's happened is they then come to an advisor and and their revenue is completely flat. It's not grown. Even if they're making two or three million bottom line every year, it's still not grown. Mm -hmm. And so they come in thinking they're going to exit and they're going to get this big amount of money. And they don't because somebody's looking For future growth. And if they don't see that you've ever grown or that you've grown the first couple of years and you were flat the whole time after, Mm -hmm. even if you have a great business, it's, it makes it harder to sell. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no. So that, that's one of the things of, you know, even if you're a lifestyle business, right. If if you think that then you have to think, okay, I'm never going to get that amount. Sure. You know, I'm going to shut down, or you know, do a, a, um, a ESOP where your employees buy it. That's one way to get out. We don't advise on ESOPs, but you can do an ESOP. But there are benefits and 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 um, challenges to that, right? Yeah, company with 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 debt, basically.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. So you you're uh touching on right now like. What your EBITDA cash flow growth looks like, even if you want to quote unquote, keep it a lifestyle business you never want to sell, right? So what are some other things that founders should be thinking about when it comes to, okay, so maybe I don't know what I want to do. Maybe it is a lifestyle. Maybe I do want to sell. But what is the time frame and what are the key things people need to think about in terms of preparing their business so it can be an attractive opportunity for acquisition?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things um, with that, and there's attractive opportunity, and there's also just being prepared. Um, And so, and I think, you know, I do think if you were to think of it five years out, it's the best time to think of it. Um, If you're three years out, that's okay. And the reason being is I always tell people, don't only talk to me, talk to advisors ahead of time. Don't say, I'm not ready. I, I, I'm going to talk to you when I'm ready. Talk to them ahead of time because they will start giving you advice. But also mm-hmm. talk to wealth advisors because mm-hmm. wealth advisors will set you up in a tax area that allows you to sell your business and not have 50% of it go to the government, right? Or, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Which is a huge thing if you think of all of these things ahead of time. Yeah. And the other thing is, is you want to think about your clients, like if you have one big client, a client concentration, anything over 20% really is a mm-hmm. client concentration. And so if you have one client that is the majority of your revenue, that's a red flag for anybody who's trying to acquire you. And yeah. it's it's a hard one to get over because if you lose that client, whole business is gone. Yeah. Um, and so that's huge. I think... Um, Getting to a certain scale is important. Again, it depends on what industry you're in. If you're in a technology business, you're looking at revenue. If you're in a service business, you shouldn't be looking at revenue. You should be looking at your EBITDA, your earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, um, mm-hmm. and and that number, if you're in a service business, gets much more interesting around two or three million dollars. Um,
0: so wait, what do you mean when you say that it's much like if you have a two or $3 million problem. EBITDA as a service-based industry? Yeah,
1: because okay. there are a lot of service companies that have 500,000, even up to a million. There's like, you know, 80% of them, right. are smaller. So mm-hmm. the thing is, is you want to get into a bracket that is not as prominent, right? You want to be different. And differentiation comes from your services. It comes from the technology you use and how technologically enabled you are. It also comes from your your actual numbers, right? That's a different Mm -hmm. factor that I don't think a lot of people think about. Yeah, Um, and and it comes from culture and it comes from you know the people. But a lot of people will say we're different because of our culture, and so. You know, as a buyer, they've talked to 50 people, maybe, maybe 300 people in a year. I mean, easily, right? Mm-hmm. And every single one of those people says, we're different because of people. So it's great that you're different because of people. It's great that you have a great culture. I'm sure mm-hmm. it's a lot different from where you started. Yeah. Everybody said it. So yeah. what people don't realize is that When it shows, like when you have amazing science, when you've done work that's won awards, when you, you know, when you've um, kept your clients for a really long time, when you've kept your people for a really long time, Mm -hmm. that actually shows that you have really great people and a really, Mm. you know, so show, don't tell. Yeah. As people focus on saying that they are something you have to show it and, and the way people see it is via the numbers and it doesn't have to be financial numbers in the money, but it has to be numbers. What's your employee turnover? What's your client turnover? Have you grown your clients? Have they, you know, um, is it just one client? It, are they, you know, a bunch of clients? What is, and then look at the actual numbers of revenue, EBITDA margins, you know, are you able um, to look at your, margin per client. Um, so I think there's a lot that people kind of breeze over because they think, okay, it's, it's good work and we're nice people, but you have to measure it somehow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know, um, for a lot of owners, like I, I always say, you can't really run a successful company if you don't know your numbers. But I think the other part of that is you have to know which numbers you need to know. Right. And so I love that you had mentioned. So you said if it was a tech company, you're looking at revenue. If you're a service-based company, you're looking at EBITDA. So that's really helpful.
1: Yeah, go ahead. does it mean on a service that you have to always optimize the EBITDA? Because sometimes you're going to have to invest in people. But you got to know when you're going to invest, right? Because... If you are going to sell, you don't want to invest that year that you're you're selling because you're even double drop.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I've heard um, that like the, the three years leading up. So I hear you like plan, plan from day one, five years out, you're probably in good shape. Three years out is like really when you want to make sure you're, you know, whatever. Um, what are the key things that you want to make sure you're doing or not doing in those three years leading up to a potential merger acquisition um, to make sure like your financials are looking healthier? Like what are the, you know, in that three-year window leading up to the the big day, what's really important?
1: I would say before you hit the three-year mark, mark, make sure all of your legal is in place with okay. whatever you need on the tax benefit side. Work with the wealthy mm. and the lawyer. Before three years, because there's at three years, when somebody acquires you, it has to be, all of those things have to be in place for three years at least to get the benefits. A minimum of three years. Yeah. So you have to do it before the three years for that part of it.
0: So, Are you talking about like C-Corps and stuff, like capital gains tax? Capital gains,
1: but there's also putting your um, assets in a trust, for instance.
0: Ah, okay.
1: There's there's and I won't because that I don't do that part of it, but there are many sure. advisors that do do that part of it. Okay. And it's a really important part. And you your assets have to be in a trust for three years in order to be able to sell it within the trust and not pay off your taxes at once. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So there's I see. there's a lot more that is not my you know, that's not my forte, but that's why I tell people talk to a wealth advisor first. Yeah. Because they yeah. can, if it's more than three years up.
0: Okay. So that's, that's from like the personal side of, well, that's- the founder's mm-hmm. personal side of like, hey, yeah. protect your ass, make sure you're not paying crazy taxes, get a trust in place, talk to a wealth advisor, etc. From the business standpoint, <laughs> what are the really... Yeah.
1: You need your numbers, you need your numbers super clean. You need to, okay. I mean, it, it's helpful to have audits. It's helpful to make sure you're on a cruel basis in accounting. So oh, you, okay. Yeah. Because people just do cash bases, And that is, uh, that's difficult because every buyer is going to want you to be on US Gap. And okay. so get your accounting strained out so that you are on US Gap. Um, that's, Actually, a very big thing.
0: And um, what is US GAAP for anybody listening who's like, "What is it, US GAAP?" It
1: is the standard accounting policies that are that it, it's. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's it's standard accounting policies,
0: um, but it's tied to accrual base versus cash base. Exactly, to it has
1: the accrual base versus cash base. Okay, which means your revenues and your 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 profit are. Are coming in at the time you're doing the service, there's different ways there's yeah, yeah, again, but making sure everything's on 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 gap. Um, you don't need audited financials. Some people, it, as they get bigger, should get audited depending on how big you are. but making sure that all is maybe getting reviewed statements is is helpful from an accountant. okay. $20,000 a year or something. Right. But it's helpful. Um, for three years, having that is super helpful. Okay. Sure that you're, you have the right employees and you're going on the right strategic direction for three years out, because a lot of times you're thinking about it and then you have to switch and you're always going to have to switch a little bit, but you really, the three years before a sale, you don't want to have to switch because that means you're your your revenue and everything in your business is gonna do a little roller coaster. You want growth for three. Okay.
0: Um, How at what percentage? Like is it just you want to see growth or you want to see like twenty percent
1: year over year? Like what does that look like? 20% or more is the best. Okay. But again, depending on where you are, we we do mid market and I would say you know, you want to be at 2 million, starting at 2 million EBITDA and going on a 20% up from there. That's okay. ideal, right. Or more than 20%, um, 20 to 30%. With that, you still want to maintain a healthy margin, 20%. So sure. 20% margin, 20 even 25% growth. Um, that's probably ideal if you can get to 20% margin, 25% growth, but somewhere in that kind of range is what you're going to do. Nice. A client concentration.
0: Yeah. If you're a C-suite woman who is sick of corporate and ready to quit and start your own gig, but you're not quite sure exactly how to run a business, listen up. If you are a woman small business owner who is miserable in your business right now, you're stuck, you're in a rut, you know something needs to change, but you're not exactly sure exactly what it is, listen up. In 2023, we are hosting four quarterly workshops to support women just like you. I will be joined by a sales strategist, a tax strategist, and an accountant, and together we'll help you find your why, build a business strategy that makes your life goals come true and get comfortable with the most uncomfortable parts of running your business. Learn more at ricksworkshops.com. That's R-I-X workshops.com. Seats are limited as these are intimate workshops and check them out because these are truly going to change the game and help you build the life that you desire. Just uh, because I know so many uh, service-based entities are also looking at uh, passive revenue um, to kind of supplement that. Would you say that that's the, that would be similar if you had like a passive revenue, like a membership or digital downloads or anything like that? People love that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Having this kind of recurring revenue, I think is a great way to supplement it. And it also increases your margins. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and it also shows... Sometimes reliance on technology being tech-enabled, which is and that's good, very good. Okay, because if you're integrating it in, that means you're a tech-enabled business versus just the service business. Mm. If you're utilizing something, hopefully that other people aren't. Perhaps it's a little bit of a differentiator. It's not. I would say it's not as much of, of a differentiator these days because most people are tech enabled. Yeah. And a lot of investors or um if you're looking at private equity or a lot of people are looking at when they look at an acquisition, they're basically saying it's a standard. It's not even a yeah, we're gonna give you more value. It's you have to have some kind of technology
0: to step well. up to the plate.
1: It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't mean that that's who you are. If you're a creative agency, for instance, you're a creative agency, but if you're utilizing technology for lots of things, people are looking for, um, you know, people use utilizing technology, even for creative ideas, these days, right?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I'm taking lots of notes over here. Um, This is all fascinating. Now, let me flip the script a little bit. So if somebody is like, all right, I'm looking to grow. I want to acquire a company. Um, what are, well, or maybe, maybe it's both sides. Um, what are the red flags to look like, to look for, sorry, to look for if you are looking to sell and you are looking to buy? I think we've probably talked about some red flags to buy, but red flags, you know, as somebody looking to sell their business, And they get excited. Right. But there's always those red flags. Like what are some of the biggest ones, maybe on both sides?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the buyer will be looking for it and the seller has to watch out for it. One of the biggest ones that people don't think about is employee turnover. Um, And, and they say they have a great culture and then you look and you see that 30% of the people have left and they say it's because of money or whatever. But I, I, I can tell you, I know agencies that keep their employees, that pay them less than industry standard. So it can't just be because of money, right? It um, is yeah. yes, sometimes, but sure. not it's that high. Um, yeah. So that's one. Um, client turnover is the other. Um, typically, you know, you might lose 20% of your clients. Keep, keep more than that. Try mm-hmm. not to lose 20%. Year so, over year, yeah, turnover of clients and turnover of employees is huge. um And some people get in because they're great. You know, I find that business owners are typically very charismatic, and they're 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 typically very good business development people. Mm-hmm. And so they're constantly out there doing the BD, which is great, and they can show this growth. But then when a buyer gets in and looks at, oh, but have you kept these clients? And they yeah. And, and it's just constantly churning. It's like, well, what happens when the owner leaves?
0: Yep, that's a good call. Keep, yeah, you have to be able to get them in the door and then keep them,
1: and then keep them. So yeah. I, I think those are probably two of the biggest red flags. The other one is if somebody hasn't told you something. Um, we had deals when when I was on the buy side where the seller forgot to mention that he had gone bankrupt twice before oh we found one and he told us oh wow it was important because it doesn't have to do with this company but it was he went bankrupt and then we found another even after that and we forgave him for the first one hell wow you have, you have to share everything and I think people are people are scared to share their financials and scared to share yeah. But the truth is, is once that NDA is in place, a buyer cannot do anything with that information. They're not going to go out and say, oh, so-and-so has this much revenue. Sure, yeah. true, yeah. I mean, yes, you don't want to like just throw them something, anything, right? You want to put it together. You want to look at it and all of that. But but ultimately, you need to be truthful and you need to be upfront. And leaving well, yeah. that information, um, even if you're not, obviously in the documentation, it will cover it. But, but even at the earliest stages, figure out what the issues are and, you know, use it, use an advisor to spin the story on the one, but make sure you you are honest. honest. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, that makes a ton of sense. This is a huge, that's a huge transaction and one built a lot on trust. And so if you, Wow, I didn't tell you I went bankrupt <laughs> twice. Not once, but twice. Wow.
1: After the second one, we gave up and
0: cut it yeah. off.
1: Yeah. I would be like, well, I don't think yeah. this is the right fit. It, it unfortunately it happens all the time. And I think I think as a seller, a seller is always like, Well, what, why are they asking me for all of this? And this is it's really hard work. It's a lot of stuff. Even if you're oh, a yeah. advisor, we can't get everything for you. Sometimes I think you know, if you don't have somebody in-house that's doing it, you should hire outside help. Spend the money because it's going to help you. You have to continue on your business, but you still yeah. takes so, a ton of time. And so, but they have to also, the seller has to realize that the buyer has to ask these questions. For because sure. they may be the honest, most wonderful people in the world, the buyer has had many experiences, where they thought they were the most wonderful person in the world, then they left out things like you know bankruptcy, right? And um, and so you know, I I think from from the seller standpoint, I guess red flags on the buyer is making sure they have enough cash, making sure the buyer has enough cash, mm. is important. Yeah. Um, and and if they don't have the cash in house what is their debt facility and looking at that it shouldn't kill a deal but you know that that that's probably the biggest one okay Uh, and then making sure they like them don't sell to somebody you don't like i mean you're gonna be miserable you're never gonna make the earn out if you can't stand the people just say no just don't do it um and you know it's a hard um it, you know, I think even as an advisor, we always, we, you know, we might meet a buyer and think they're great, but our client will meet them and say, we hate them. Right. And, you know, I think there's a certain part about being open-minded because the buyer will always be focused on the numbers, whereas the seller may not be. And they may say, yeah, but they have the because of so many other things. But again, the, the, it, it's a business, they're running a business, right? Yeah. You have to be somewhat open-minded and realize some of it is about that. But on the other end, you have to make sure that the other parts, the buyer also is asking about culture, people, yeah, really into and understanding like what the seller does. Um, Because sometimes, you know, they don't, they don't actually understand. Um, Yeah. That's, yeah. So you want to make sure the buyer understands it a little bit. Um, Otherwise, you know, it could be a world of hurt once you get in there.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know even just on a small scale, there there can be a real breakdown in communication sometimes on what XYZ means to actually execute against it. Um, Lori, when we're talking about mergers and acquisition deals, uh, I know we've talked about five years. We're talking about the three years. How long does it typically take for a deal to complete from start to finish?
1: I mean, it's, it honestly really varies. Um, most people will say seven to nine months. Um, okay. I would say, you know, I've seen deals close in four or five months, which is completely abnormal. Um, okay. But it, and I guess I guess if there's already a buyer, that's absolutely normal. Um, but if you're going through a process of selling and you're talking to a lot of people, which is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. We'll say, we'll break it down into nine months, which is there's three months of prep work. So that's us coming in, digging through all of your materials, playing devil's advocate, looking at the numbers, looking at the people, looking at the turnover. Looking at all the services and and developing a, a full STEM, which is a confidential information memorandum, that is a very large document. And it has everything about your business. Mm-hmm. Develop a one-pager. We'll spend a, a shitload of time on the um, buyers. to Make sure they're the right buyers for you. Mm-hmm. That's the first three months. The second three months is us out there calling marketing to... Maybe a hundred people, right? We're calling them, we're talking to them. A lot of times, we know them because we're very focused on the industry. Yeah, for but, sure. But it still takes time to go back and forth. They might be busy. They might have other things going on. And then yeah. we're meetings. We're getting to an LOI. Once we get to that LOI, we hope to have that LOI signed in those three months. At the end of this second, this letter of interest, letter of interest. Yep. Sometimes we'll go to an IOI, which is an indication of interest first, depending on the amount of people. Okay. And we'll do more diligence. And then once you sign the LOI, which is non-binding, but it basically gives the buyer 60 to 90-day exclusivity to then get the deal done. Okay. So typically, you know, they might put 60, they might put 90. Um, typically, I would say 90. So then you have three months to close the deal. So that's documentation, diligence, going through with lawyers back and forth, um, negotiating the finer points. And then yeah. so that's an easy way to look at three months, three months, three months. Sometimes mm-hmm. different parts take longer. Yeah. Uh,
0: okay. Okay. Well, good. Good to know for anybody out there who's considering it. To all my women small business owners providing professional business services, I am thrilled to introduce the 100 Collective. The 100 Collective is a directory and membership for women just like you, designed by women just like you. Our goal is to help owners build stronger businesses and help 1 million women build more financially free and fulfilling lives by leveraging our collective network. We created the 100 collective to make it easy to find women small business owners to work with and hold a safe and supportive environment to thrive within. Memberships start as low as $9 per month, or you can join the directory for free today at the100co.com. As we get wrapped up here, you know, I think the work you do is so fascinating. And, um, you know, as I've spent my my career in the creative space. I love that you've carved this out as a niche for yourself, um, for you and feel free to answer this for you as a human, or you as part of your company, right? Um, what impact do you want to make on the world or what legacy do you want to leave?
1: No, well, um, we want to change the reputation of investment banking. We want to let everybody know that, uh, you could be a really good person. It can be- <laughs> I love that. We'll be an investment banker, right? No, it's very true though. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of great people in this industry that um, unfortunately don't get noticed because of you know what people think of investment bankers. And yeah, I think when somebody thinks of an investment banker, they think of a guy with a buttoned-up shirt and a tie and his calculator. And I think, you know, we need to look further. We need to look more strategically. And I was lucky enough to start my career in in an amazing firm that, you know, had, well, you know, 30% of my incoming class was female, which was huge back 20 years ago. And, and, you know, still to this day, um, there's probably two women that I know that are at my um, level. at managing partner or managing director level. Yeah, and, it's
0: hard to find ladies awesome. doing this work at that level, and, for sure. And
1: so, you know, the goal with Evola and and where the word Evola comes from is to it is evolve in alahi. Alahi means to change in, in Greek. And so it was cool. evolve and change mergers and acquisitions, change this industry. And, you know, from that we are very focused on having a very diverse team and not just to have a diverse team, but to actually be able to look at things differently and look at where strategic fits might be where nobody else may have looked and to make sure that everything we do is with the highest integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the goal is to to build this firm quite big and um, to make sure that people know it and can see, and to have women see, like, you know, we're, we're hoping to be 50% women. Um, um, you know, we have, you know, different gender identity, different race, um, different nationalities. And, um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, that is the goal. I
0: love it. I love it. Um, all right. My last question for you, Lori. Um, as an entrepreneur yourself, what is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, um, I think that's probably the hardest one. Um, I think that was my design <laughs> I think um one is now that I've done this and I'm building this and we've hired our our you know first employee and and I'm responsible for his salary and he actually is a British citizen. So I'm also responsible for oh, his wow. life. I feel like that's, that's a lot. I, you know, I think I've learned, you know, and I've always heard people say, you know, the pressure of being an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting out to make sure that you're on it. I I now feel what my clients feel, I guess you can say, mm-hmm. uh, And I always kind of understood it, but now I really understand it. Yeah. So I think that's, that's one thing. Um, And, you know, I think it also, the other part of that is, is learning balance um, as an entrepreneur. And I would say, I think I'm having, most people would say they don't have as much balance as an entrepreneur. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm actually getting more balance. And the reason really? is because I'm so focused on making sure that, that our employees have balance, right. Yeah. I don't want to burn them out. And so from that, I, I can't, I, I have to set, I have to set that by an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I've always had a very strong work ethic and and I think, you know, I work quite hard, but taking time out, um, to, to make sure that your balance is important. And I think it helps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lori, you are amazing. Thank you so much uh, for anyone listening. Who's like, I need to get in touch with this lady. What's the best way for them to find you?
1: Um, you can reach out via email. It's, it's Lori at Ebola advisors.com. Um, that's probably the easiest to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. And just, Drop me an email and happy to respond and and you know let them know that Kylie sent you.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. We'll make sure that's in the show notes. For anyone listening who has enjoyed Lori's incredible words of wisdom as much as I have, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening. And Lori, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I have so many notes and I uh, just really
1: appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me.
0: To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at WelcomeToEloma.com.